Welcome to the video podcast, Richard Gage 9-11 Unleashed, where truth and unity matter. Take the deep dive with highly influential voices in and around the 9-11 truth movement. Welcome everybody back to Richard Gage 9-11 Unleashed. I am just delighted to be back with you, especially with the exciting guest that we have, Matthew Raymer of Content Safe. He's a thinker. He's uh, he's going to deliver today. We're going to be talking about freedom of speech. We're going to be talking about censorship. We're going to be talking about solutions to the censorship. How do we get back to freedom of speech? Let me first introduce you to my wonderful assistant, my wonderful wife, Ms. Gail Gage. Hello, Gail. Hi, Richard. Hi, everybody. Oh, my gosh. Um, We're back again with another amazing guest. Can you believe all the talent that we've been able to assemble in one place? Yes, we've been very, very lucky. Uh I think so, too. Uh, And um, we just came off another amazing speaking engagement. You want to tell people about it? Yes, it was the DCG conference. It's a uh, digital crypto co- cryptocurrency conference down in San Diego. And it was over the weekend. Richard got to speak on Saturday and he was able to speak for an entire hour. So there was a lot of good information packed in there. Yeah, we got and building nice. seven. We got the twin towers. Mm-hmm. We had some incredible questions too, but go ahead. We'll come back to that. No, I was just going to say, it just was really exciting. It was a fun trip. Great people, really a, a bunch of, it, they're really like family. We're in this um, private chat with everybody that was attending the conference and it really felt like they were all just real close-knit family. So yeah, it was fun and and uh, made some great connections. There were experts on uh, digital security. Mm-hmm. There were experts on tax uh, implications and how you run a business, um, particularly a, a trading business. Some of them do stocks mm-hmm. options. Um, most all of them do cryptocurrency also. They had some incredible opportunities for uh, business investment. So be sure to go uh, and visit them at DC, well, Let's say jamarjames.com. He's kind of the guru of the group, jamarjames.com, J-A-M-A-R james.com with DCG, Digital Currency Group. (laughs) And uh, we just came back and we're going to be posting that presentation or some clips from it, along Mm -hmm. with some great questions that people had uh, for us um, from the group. Uh, so we'll be working on that right after this podcast. It's been nonstop since we came back. Huh? It has been. Yes. And in a little less than two weeks now, we're on a, another speaking engagement trip going down to San Antonio, Texas, and that's for the advanced medicine conference. Mm-hmm. Uh, very exciting. Also. Yep. 1000 doctors are going to hear the truth about nine 11. And what truths are we going to hear, Gail? <laughs> well, there's going to be a whole lot of truth on the disease we can't talk about and the cure that doesn't work that we can't talk about. And why can't we talk about them? Oh, uh, because we get censored so badly on YouTube. Yes, YouTube <laughs> will will give us. We'll get struck out. 
Yep. Uh, we've got a couple of YouTube strikes because we just, we just, um, they don't like you talking. They don't like you challenging the official narrative of anything. And that's what we're talking about today with our expert guest. That's right. But yes. We have a podcast coming up too next week, don't we? Or is it yes, this Yes, we week? do. Yes, this we're week. interviewing Mark Gaffney on our next podcast. Mm-hmm. Mark Gaffney is is the author of the book Black 9-11. I hope I got that right. And and uh, I've, I've begun to uh, read it, but I don't have it right here um uh he's 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 prolific he also wrote uh nist report dead on arrival we'll be looking at that and talking about that too awesome. so we've we we've got so much to cover gail what else uh do we want to uh mention to our friends before we introduce our wonderful guest well just quick we're gonna be going to um it's not a speaking engagement, but it's going to be a wonderful opportunity to share 9-11 Truth and Table uh, at the National Fire Protector Protection Association Conference. That's in Boston from June 6th to the 9th. That's happening because we just bought mm-hmm. the flight, the tickets. Yes, so Gail and I will be tabling with Eric Lawyer, Firefighters mm-hmm. for 9-11 Truth, and Raul Angulo. Uh, the the guy who wrote the book on how to fight fires with the, yes. with your the engine. He's a fire, he's a firefighter and a captain of the was the captain of the Seattle firefighting uh, firefighters. <clears throat> there, <laughs> company engine, um, and uh, we're going to be elevating the discussion to the problem. And the problem is this: if if we have sudden building collapses now due to fires in high rises like building seven. Well, wait a minute. The firefighters go into high rises all the time and fight fires from the basements, <clears throat> not the basements, the, their base, their command base is in the first floor of these high rises typically. So uh, is there a conflict there? If a building can start free falling at, uh, because a fire has heated up a beam, pushing it off of its seat on column 79, mm-hmm. in the case of Building 7. Uh, is that a problem for the existing firefighting policies and procedures? Yeah, it may be. Uh, we're going to bring this to the attention of the National Fire Protection Association. So um, those of us who are in Boston will be um, inviting a lot of dialogue on this subject with the Protecting All Protectors Alliance, which we've yeah. joined as a part of. Anything else, Gail, about that? Um, not, not about that. I think you covered everything. Um, just one last thing. We do have our um, 9-11 Architects Guide. Tomorrow is part three. So it'll be the third in the three-part series for this month. So this is our webinar, which we do weekly. Yes. Yes. <clears throat> three yes. of them per month, anyway. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Then we'll take a break for the following week and then pick it back up again in June and do the three parts again. Yeah. Part three is on the Twin Towers and Extreme Heat. We'll be just getting into that in, in a big way. But let's first get into our guests and bring him on. Um, uh, 9-11, Maintaining Freedom of Speech. 
in the Age of Censorship with our guest, Matthew Raymer. What does freedom of speech mean in today's social media censored environment? How do we manage free speech for the good of all? Or do we need to? What are the implications of YouTube's January 25th, 2019 statement? We'll begin reducing recommendations of borderline content and content that could misinform users in harmful ways, such as videos promoting a phony miracle cure for a serious illness. <laughs> who, who are they to judge? Anyway, claiming the earth is flat or making blatantly false claims about historic events like 9-11. Blatantly false claims when we have abundant, overwhelming proof that we've been showing for 15 years now? Do you see a problem here? And tell me, who is Cass Sunstein and what is cognitive infiltration? How do propaganda campaigns that shape narratives, national narratives, and censorship interrelate? How do these propaganda campaigns and the censorship interrelate. What's the best way to overcome the mainstream media propagation that we're in an onslaught with? What are the subjects and types of content that YouTube and others are censoring these days? We're going to walk through that with our guest. I've besieged him, but he's up for it. He told me. I talked to him. He's waiting. He's at the, like a horse waiting at the gate. He wants to talk about all this stuff. What are the sub, what, how does YouTube censorship actually work? Because he knows. What is the methodology of shadow banning and deplatforming, and how can we protect ourselves from it? What is the trusted flagger program from YouTube, and how is it deployed? How have community volunteer teams versus professional teams been working for YouTube behind the scenes? How are censorship bots used and trolls? How is Fear, uncertainty, and doubt. FUD, it's called. It's actually a thing. How is, it, how is it deployed against us, the truth tellers? How do we censor ourselves ourselves, in this new environment? How are we? How do you censor yourself? Even while being advocates of free speech. It happens unconsciously. You heard Gail doing it herself and me. We have to censor ourselves because we want our YouTube platform to survive. Well, at some point, we're just going to have to give up on it. And I think our guest will have something to say about that, too. How do distributed centralized technologies work for alternative media content creators like us, like our guest, and like you, many of you, where and when did the copyright concept begin? And who was it designed to protect? What is the IPFS, the Interplanetary File System? Sounds pretty sexy. We're going to get to the bottom of it. And how can it benefit? How can it benefit sharing our 9-11 truth? Can cryptocurrency aid in freedom of speech? My guest on Richard Gage 9-11 Unleashed is Matthew Raymer. 
<clears throat> he has formal degrees in physics, mathematics, and computer science. He's published papers on computational biophysics and was a software engineer and architect and is a long, lifelong serial entrepreneur. So there's software engineers and there are software architects, and he's been both and put a lot of businesses together. He spent 30 years, in fact, consulting, constructing, instructing, and planning projects for small and medium-sized enterprise corporations and governmental agencies. Matthew hosts the underground podcast, Deplatformed, from his home in Southeast Asia. He's recently specialized in understanding social media censorship and providing practical solutions for content providers. In fact, we use his excellent services here at Richard Gage 911 Unleashed. Those services of Content Safe, which he'll also be sharing with us. And without further ado, let me introduce you to Mr. Matthew Raymer. Hello, Matt. Hey, Rich. How are you? Ah, hey, doing man. good. Great to have you aboard. Before I let you just run off with all of the incredible answers that I know are forthcoming to these questions that I was inspired to write after talking to you, um, tell us how you first got uh, aware of the truth about 9-11. And was that instant for you or did that take a while? Well, you know, it was not an instant for me. I was I was already in Southeast Asia when 9 11 happened and I was just 31 years old and I recall the event I, I was I had just come home from a business trip and I arrived and turned on the television and there were the towers being hit by jets and at the time I remember being you know confused and enraged that something like that could happen but it and there were some questions in my mind i think a lot of us at whenever we saw it we're like how is that possible what we just saw how is that possible but we were embedded in a life and this was something kind of even though it impacted us it was outside of that life so it was easy for us to say well okay let's just trust what we're being told hmm. now it's what's interesting to me is that my father was what you would call an old school conspiracy theorist. I mean, like 1980s, 1970s. Uh, what was her name? Uh, May. The one that talked about Kennedy all the time. Uh, I don't know who that was. Yeah, there was a particular radio uh personality that she was involved a lot in discussing the Kennedy assassination. Oh, okay. And and my I think it was May Russell or Brussel, something like that. Okay. And and my dad was part of that world. Uh he subscribed to underground newspapers and I mean it, he was always telling me stuff. And I oh. was right quite engaged, intelligent, top of my class kind of student. And I'm like I respected my dad greatly. I did not think of him as crazy, but I said, dad, I don't think that those things are true. How's that possible? Right. Oh, you're all, that's a reverse. Having your dad truth you. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. So, you know, it's like I had that stuff in my mind and I had that seed planted to doubt the narrative I was being fed. But it took a while for the fruit to bear. Because uh, after seeing it on television, several years went by. And one thing in Southeast Asia is you get a lot of expats, a lot of retirees. So I got to meet some people along the way, some of them supporting the narrative. Huh. But some of them were like one of my pals who isn't here anymore. He died last year. Uh, he was like, I've been in the Pentagon because he was a, uh, I don't know what the guy was, but he was like, I've been in the Pentagon. He said that that can't possibly have worked out that way. He said, I've been in and out there a hundred times. There's no way that that story is what they said it was. And I'm like, well, oh, I don't know. Cause I've never been to the Pentagon. Right. Uh-huh. But as you start to pile up, I think your work was very pivotal in doing this you start to pile up all of the little things that you weren't told and it starts to become obvious that it the official story is not correct and as someone who has a degree in physics you would think that i would have come to that conclusion years before (laughs) but right you weren't putting your physics to work matt uh let me um let me just quickly give Gail a chance to, because she's got to go and, and gather all these questions that are going to be forthcoming. Okay. Um, she's got to let her audience know how to do that. So uh, sorry about that, sweetheart. Uh, would you go ahead and let them know and give yeah. them your lecture about being polite? You know, the one we got okay. as kindergartners. Yes, exactly. Yes, everyone. So remember to post your questions. Go to the comment section under the videos. Just type in your question in the comments and it'll pop up on my screen. And then I copy and paste it over into the private chat where I read your question to our guest, Matthew. And please remember, we've had issues with this in the past. That's the only reason we have to bring it up is please keep all your comments and questions civil and mature and adult so that I don't have to delete your question or comment or block you because we want to keep it all coming from love and um, just allowing everybody to have their own views and their own opinions without expressing your disdain for them. So, yes. So where can we get questions again? In the comment section underneath the videos where you would type in a comment, put your questions in there and it populates. Pardon? Oh, on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and YouTube for now. You you can get questions from Twitter too. Yes, I tested that, and you can. Huh. You had any? So fantastic. All right. Well, thanks, and and we'll see you back here. And good luck with everybody. <laughs> oh, <my> the... thanks. <laughs> I might need it. Hey. Yeah, you might. Bye. All right. There she goes. All right, Matt, you were, you were telling us this incredible story about your father, how he was red-pilling you, and you weren't having any of it. Right. And, and as I said, my dad and I got along just fine. But I, I would say that a lot of my dad's doubt came because my eldest brother, because my family history is that 
my mom had my eldest brother when she was 16 and she had me whenever she was 37. So there's this huge gap between the kids in the family. Uh And my eldest brother volunteered for Vietnam. Oh. But my dad begged him to go to Canada. (laughs) Those are two very different places. Right. Different reasons. so, So he died in Vietnam. Oh, my God. Right. And he died. I was only six months old when he died. So. Uh, that I think if it wasn't before that, it was definitely that event that probably cemented his skepticism about the establishment and whether it was looking out for us or, or not. Mm. And, uh, that's my family history. I think that led to the eventual, like, uh, awakening, uh, of my own doubts. Plus you do business for a while. And you begin to understand that government agencies are not really on your side Mm. and uh, corporations are not efficient, you know, running machines. They're actually inefficient machines that require theft to be able to keep going. (laughs) Uh, At least that's been my assessment over, you know, 20 or 30 years of working. Uh Uh-huh. so yeah, uh, that that's what brought me to my understanding of nine eleven, and plus uh, an abundant number of other things. Uh, I, if we had time and it was on topic, I could talk about how I became a skeptic about the medical establishment too. And it was not in the last three years that I became a skeptic. <laughs> <laughs> Although the last uh, two or the three last years, ten years that I given, became a skeptic. Oh my gosh! And wow. that was because my parents again, seeing oh. them, their 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 health decaying. And both of them have passed away, uh, and, but both of them, their deaths could have been delayed probably by another decade had they mm. not actually followed the medical procedures that they were being advised to follow. So freedom of speech, um, our topic today was certainly uh, mm. an issue relative to those in them, uh, in the medical field that uh, wanted to provide their truth but uh, were shut down as well um what does freedom of speech uh mean to you today well for me let me just make a, a quote that it's kind of an antithesis of freedom of speech uh as a kind of a backdrop for what i understand about free speech i have this particular french scholar his name is Jacques Elliot. Uh, he published in the World War II era all the way up until the late 1980s, he had 50 books, thousands of articles. And a lot of the people in the truth movement actually know who Jacques Elieu is. Uh, if they don't know who he is consciously, they've actually either seen quotes from him or uh, have used his ideas in their work. But there's this one particular quote I think is a good antithesis. To be effective, propaganda must constantly short-circuit all thought and decision. It must operate on the individual at the level of the unconscious. So my understanding of uh, freedom of speech is 
how we can get information that is unfiltered. And then how we can use that information to allow us to freely associate with people who have contrary views to our own and with people we wish to cooperate with in the plenary beneficial outcome, in in a plenary beneficial outcome, something that benefits everybody. And to have access to information that can emancipate me to a better understanding of the world that leads to me having a better life. That's mm. my understanding of the freedom of speech. Mm. And what do you mean by unfiltered? Unfiltered, I mean that someone didn't decide what I should be seeing. Or somebody or some program is not preventing me from seeing all the options. Okay, so you're bombarded with an onslaught of propaganda from the media. I, I imagine you'd put that in the filtered category. Yes, definitely. So, so, Fake so, information, right. Uh, talk and, about you know, the interplay between freedom of speech and, and propaganda then, because these two have history together, don't they? That's right. And, and uh, propaganda and censorship are... They're fraternal twins of one another. Mm. They're, they're ugly fraternal twins. <laughs> uh, it's sort of like the relationship between advertising and copyright. You know, advertising is like propaganda and copyright is like censorship. Mm -hmm. uh, one of them claims the truth yeah. for things which are not true. Uh -huh. And the other restricts things that are best held in common. Best held in what? Common. Common, yeah. Okay. How does that relate to today's conversation, let's say, about 9-11? Well, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> we have been advertised a story that was meant to promote a particular agenda of warfare. And profiteering. So it, it's both things, right? Warfare and profit, they always go together. I think that uh, there was a play either after World War One or World War Two in Britain called Oh, What a Wonderful War, hmm. uh, where they were talking about war profiteering. Oh. Roll with that. Yeah. So with propaganda, we've been in, we were encouraged that we ought to be going to war in, say, Afghanistan. And how did that turn out for us? Was that for the plenary, the, the benefit of everybody? Did everybody benefit from that? No. Did anybody benefit? Well, we know some people benefit. Some people benefit. <laughs> but, you know, on a spiritual level, I don't even think those people benefited from that. They right. think they did but they, they really didn't. Mm -hmm. And we were constrained from access to information that would have told us what the truth was. Mm. In, in a sense, they copyrighted 9-11 and said, this is the only authentic story that you're supposed to believe. Mm -hmm. So where, where would you like me to go next? 
I want to see where your mind goes, Matthew. Okay. <clears throat> I've asked a number of questions and I could fire them at you, but I don't want to interrupt this incredible okay. mind of yours. Well, then let's just reel down what I have prepared here. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, when it comes to freedom of speech, you really don't manage it. It thrives when data is not managed. Hmm. Mm-hmm. It's not handled deliberately by human biases. I have confidence that humanity as an aggregate is capable of managing itself mostly to the benefit of everyone. We have that capability within us. If anything can be seen from history, it's that the more speech is limited, the more likely it will be that the result will be some social disaster like war or oppression, a war and oppression. There's almost always an imbalance of power involved in actual acts of censorship. The person censoring is socially more privileged, wealthier, and have more resources than the censored who are by comparison poor in resources. Mm-hmm. So censorship, a freedom of speech is good for everybody. Freedom of speech actually is a way of mitigating violence. It's not a way of creating violence as we're being sold. You know, just think about the propaganda tricks that are being going or psychological tricks that are being pulled on us right now into convincing us that, oh, if we hurt someone's feelings or we disagree with them, that we're actually being violent. Mm-hmm. That's that's a mind trick. It's not even a Jedi mind trick. It's a Sith mind trick. <laughs> it's deception. Yes. Right. And, you know, if you read Sun Tzu, which I did start reading Sun Tzu whenever I was a teenager, uh, mm-hmm. deception is the all warfare is deception, right? Uh, it's it, it's the art of war. So you could we are definitely in an information war, a, a huge psyop. That's what we're experiencing, what we've been experiencing. And as I tell my my older friends, like you just didn't realize that this was already happening to you decades ago. It's just become so transparent. Now, I also think the internet has helped make it easier to see that. So there is in our recent 30 year history, uh, the exposure to ideas and information that we would not have been otherwise exposed to unless we were a scholar in a, university with a very big library and free access to that library, which is essentially what's happened over the last 30 years. We've had the ability to access practically anything mm-hmm. and, to, and to see different views and to hear different explanations of how history played out. And it's allowed us as an aggregate to start to understand better how the world is run. And it's not run very well. In fact, you know, some would argue, especially that there's a particular guy I like. Let me just say up front, I do have my own thoughts about what the truth of certain situations are, right? But I still try to view things at a meta level. Oh. I want to see a continuum of ideas. 
if I can't see a continuum of ideas, then I feel as though it's hard for me to make a decision about what the truth is. And the more we talk today, the more I think it become obvious why I look at it that way. Um, yeah. And the other, oh, I had one other thought that just slipped out of my mind. I, I'll get back there. I'm sure it'll come back to me later. As far yeah. as where YouTube stands and their ability to censor, uh, I have to say that algorithmic manipulation is really fundamentally flawed. But I don't believe you can write bots that will prevent information from leaking out. Because I think that uh, AI isn't that strong. In fact, I'm one of those folks who doesn't believe that strong AI is something that will be in our lifetimes. I believe that AI is basically good at uh, seeing patterns that we have difficulty seeing. But it's really out of our current reach to make an AI that has the equivalent intelligence of a single person. And I think that that's why they're afraid of the Internet. It's the Internet's a double edged sword for the establishment. It it is the best monitoring tool, surveillance tool that has ever been provided to a governing body ever. That's why whenever people say, they're going to shut down the internet. No, they're not. They're not going to shut down the internet. That's That that would be like them saying they're going to poke out both their eyes. No, no, they might temporarily shut down the internet in a critical crisis, but they'll soon have it back up. Look at the Arab Spring and how it was handled there. That's exactly what they did. They shut it down in Egypt for like two days. And then they head it back up because they want to listen to what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So fundamentally, the idea of an algorithm preventing people from getting information. No, not absolutely. But it is effective in corralling people. So that it's not like they can do away that. It's so useless that they don't want to use it. Yeah, they can use it. It's got limited usefulness. So YouTube and its program, what it's tried to do is it's tried to leverage the community itself. That's that trusted flaggers program, which started right around 2014 or before a little bit before 2014. Mm -hmm. And what they were trying to do was crowdsource the, the internet to do the to do the policing for YouTube, and a certain part of them with certain uh, convictions and not other convictions, right? Uh, but you know what? Assuredly. This this announcement of January twenty five. See what this is is that May twenty seven, they are going to end all at least officially end all volunteer trusted flaggers. They are only going to use NGOs and government bodies. So organizations like mm. George Soros's organizations, right. NGOs. Right, right, exactly. To, they're hiring out what they used to trust volunteers with flagging content of concern to that specific group of volunteers. But for some reason, they're now going to pay 
Are they going to pay NGOs and government agencies? Probably. They did not. The the official announcement did not mention anything about compensation. But they're going to those sources. But there are other articles that indicate that the reason they did this is because the volunteers were starting to to starting to not flag the material they wanted them to flag. <laughs> okay, so they couldn't control their volunteers. They can't tell them what to flag. Uh, they're supposed right. to just rely on them to know, but they weren't knowing right. Maybe they'll give it to the new Department of Disinformation from Homeland Security. Yeah, maybe. Uh, but, you know, we call it new, but really... Uh, that's kind of related to Cass Sunstein, which you, mm-hmm. you had talked about before, because mm-hmm. Sunstein was appointed by Obama for an agency that sounds an awful lot like the Ministry of Truth. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Cognitive so, infiltration of uh, conspiracy theorists like 9-11, he even mentioned. Right, right. You know, and it's interesting. Um the, the term cognitive infiltration shows up in Sunstein's work, which was called uh, Conspiracy Theories and Other Dangerous Ideas. Dangerous Ideas. Right. But the actual book, Cognitive Infiltration, was a rebuttal of Sunstein's book. It was oh. done by um, David Ray Griffin. Oh, he, he, he labeled the book Cognitive Infiltration. Right. Yes. Right. So Sunstein, for anybody who doesn't know, is a Harvard uh, graduated legal scholar known for constitutional law, administrative law, and behavioral economics. Behavioral economics. Wow. Right. And him and another guy, a, a behavior, a uh, let's see, a economic psychologist, Thaler. Uh, Richard Thaler, I think it was. Uh, they wrote the book um, "Conspiracy Theories and Other Dangerous Ideas." So, oh. in Sunstein's work, if you if um, let's digress and talk a bit about his work yeah. uh, because it's important to understanding the current censorship system. Very important to understanding it because Sunstein was the head. Of an unnamed psychological response unit. Oh dear! Right, the plot thickens. I won't name who 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 that organization was, but it's relevant to our current events. Okay. Yeah. Are you censoring okay. yourself? Yeah, I'm uh, censoring myself, which we we will get around to talking about at some point. Uh, okay. The book itself is not really a trade book. It's not something that's meant for the average person. The people who would read a book like conspiracy theories and other dangerous ideas are academics and the managerial class, the administrators. It's sort of like uh, tragedy and hope that was meant for the CIA chiefs, uh, section chiefs. It wasn't meant for your average person. But it ended up in our community, right? Yeah, we we use it to expose what they're doing. And you realize, tell each other how to do it. 
That's right. And do you realize, to, to me, this is, this is such an indicator of how this class of people views the rest of us. They view us as ignorant savages that couldn't possibly understand what they're talking about. So they will publish this. It's not a secret. It's, you can go out and get it. It's, it's like uh, one, of, one, of the, uh, uh, one of the other popular uh, analysts, Jay Dyer, points out that whenever he was still in university, uh, people were saying globalism was, you know, that's a conspiracy theory. Globalism is, there is no such thing as globalism. And his professor said, what are you talking about? Go down to the library. There's a whole section in the, in the university library on globalism. <laughs> but it's told me, oh, no, single world government's not anything. They're not imagining that. Yes, they are. <laughs> yes, they are. And you can read in LEU's Technological Society about the meetings that happened after World War II carving the entire world up. Uh, so Sunstein is talking to a particular type of person. He uh, classified alternative uh, interpretations of 9-11 as modern conspiracy theory. Uh, he was interested in his own words in public order and power structures of the status quo remaining as they were. And, and he wasn't really interested in truth and justice. He saw the act of people talking as a mechanism and desired to undermine these theories, dispel them rather than to refute them with sound evidence. So you can already see in his language that he wasn't interested in the truth. He was interested in neutralizing a problem. Hmm. Uh, he claimed that the things that you would be saying are based on. Uh, mistaken thinking. Hmm. And he says it's all about ego, which produces errors of thought. He also saw conspiracy theories as self-sealing. Uh, but in reality, what we've seen, in, especially in the last couple of years, is that the people who question the narrative are often the most informed and willing to embrace things outside of their own comfort zone. Mm -hmm. So this is a, you know, what is it called? Um, confession through projection. Confession through projection. <laughs> In other words, he's saying you've got a self-sealed mind, but actually he has a self-sealed mind. Yeah. Yeah, they, they, they accuse us of what, what they're about. That's right. And this is an old, old tactic of trying to undermine your enemy's mental facilities or mm. faculties. Uh, and confidence. Right. And confidence. Right. Right. As I, I, if I ever, because sometimes I, whenever my children were still in high school, I would go and lecture about just how to think and how how to live and i would point out that the easiest way to lose is to let allow yourself to be convinced that you're losing hmm. and i think that that's works very 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 well 
on humanity. It works on them very well. Uh, yeah, so, because I mean, we 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 do tend to doubt ourselves. We're we're human. We're we're vulnerable. We're we may not have been raised with a great sense of self confidence, um, and so it can get piled on us, and it can we can go under. Uh, I'm, none, none of us are, you know, s- superheroes. That's right. And it is a balancing act. Really, everyone has to balance the ego versus being rational and trying to be objective in assessing the truth of a situation. Mm-hmm. It is possible to get too convicted about a position and to stick to that position no matter whether you get contrary information or not. Which is, again, why I try to look at things up here on this meta level, looking at a continuum of ideas. And even though I might have ideas that I believe are the truth, I still have to look at where the flaws are. What are the edge cases in what I'm thinking? What is it that I don't know the answer to? Because if I don't do that, I will fall prey to being steered by my own ego. Uh-huh. Or others. Right? Others' ego. Or, yeah. or yes, yes, exactly. Uh, which yeah. makes me bring to mind that there is another criteria. Because uh, as part of my business, Content Safe, I listen to lots of content. <laughs> which is another side benefit of the business, is I get to listen to lots of content. Uh-huh. And, and what I've tried to do is if i see a new idea are you familiar with uh, the uh the scientific philosopher um his name just slipped out of my head uh, popper carl popper no popper was a, a philosopher of science back in the 20th century and he improved upon the scientific method by introducing among other things Uh, the idea of falsification. So Uh he said a rigorous scientific theory had to have a a falsifying criteria added to it. In other words, if my idea were wrong, it could be proven wrong by XYZ. Okay. So whenever I hear an idea online, I look at the positives, the things that are being argued for that idea, but then I also look to see if the person is bothered to say what would prove him or her wrong. Yeah. And then it's, it's honest, right? At that point, they're not just trying to sell me on all the positives and trying to get me to ignore the negatives. Yeah. Good point. Mm. That's what um, the debunkers do. The nine 11 debunkers, they, 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 they needle in and, 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 and present us with, uh, irrelevant, uh, almost virtually irrelevant uh, data in order to steer us off. Um, and see, it to me, they would be suspect to uh, a falsifica- falsification criteria as well. If you're going to debunk something, you have to show why the thing that you're you're stating is a problem is really a problem. You can't just baffle them with bullshit, as my editor likes to say. Yeah. That, which you're often preying on someone's lack of information to get them to doubt 
which you know relates back to that FUD, fear, uncertainty, and doubt, right? (laughs) That's what I think debunkers are primarily what they're there for. They're there to introduce uncertainty and doubt. They're not really there to help you understand uh, the truth of something. Or have a logical argument. And I think that's down the road. I, I, Michael Shermer, all of these, n- none of these guys are actually really helpful. They're actually counter helpful. Yes. They're just poo pooing, just name calling for the most part. Right, right, right. And it, it, I find it ironic because, again, going back to Eliu, Eliu in one of his works talks about the myth of progress and how progress is really a meaningless word. And I remember one of his illustrations. He said that uh, some would say it's a mark of progress that we made a jet plane go faster. He said, faster going where? Going nowhere fast? Why do you need it to go faster? Why is that such a good thing that the plane could go faster? What matters is the truth, not that that this fact or, or this theory could make a plane go faster. And I was listening to a discussion with Shermer, and Shermer was criticizing, uh, it was Electric Universe Conference, by the way. And he was saying, well, maybe what you guys are saying is true, but will it make a jet plane go faster? I'm like, okay, that means that this guy's a propagandist. He's not really seeking the truth. And that's something else that should be pointed out, that an effective propagandist should never really believe what he's saying. Oh. Because that's not the goal of propagandist. The goal of a propagandist is to steer people's direction and their energy. So he needs to have the latitude to be able to reverse himself on a position. So how can you ID a propagandist if they say one thing? a month ago, and then they say the exact opposite today. And then they keep changing themselves based on which way that it seems they want the public to go. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's a good metric. In my opinion, it's been a great metric in the last three years to listen to public pronouncements. And if I see them changing their minds, that means this person's not really looking out for me he's got an agenda he's trying to promote because he keeps changing his position and again that's cynicism the cynicism is that the public can never remember from two over a two-week period what happened two weeks ago sometimes that's true (laughs) unfortunately unfortunately yeah so back to sunstein uh what Sunstein proposed was that there should be cognitive infiltration of what he framed extremist groups. Now, you are part of what he, what Sunstein would have called an extremist group. Yeah. So cognitive infiltration. And I'm not trying to pick on anyone's, you know, alternative narrative for 9-11. But the fact that they're proliferated different types of narratives leaves room for this kind of cognitive infiltration. But I can't tell people who have alternative views not to express those. 
because then that would violate my principle of freedom of speech. What I have to adjure all of us is simply because their alternative does not mean they're telling the truth. And that everybody has to be subject to the same scrutiny. And that's just the burden of freedom of speech. That is a burden. It is, but how can you say you believe in freedom of speech if you go around suppressing other people's views? <laughs> right? Uh, now, that said, we do have the right to decide what we're going to talk about and what we're not going to talk about. So if we don't really think an idea is a good idea, we don't have to talk about it. Okay. Um, okay, this is the book that, that Thaler wrote with him. What who, who really... Uh, this is Ke Sunstein. Sunstein has okay. another book, which oh. is very important. Oh. And it's called Nudge. Nudge? Yes. This was written with Richard Thaler, who's the economic psychologist. Oh. Uh, a nudge is a subtle cue for making a context change in a conversation. Hmm. So the idea is, or at least he said, that you could push someone to make a certain decision without forcing them to. So this is a psychological manipulation tactic. Now you might ask, what's the difference between a push and forcing? And I don't think necessarily that in practice, that nudging is necessarily not forcing because one could be using shaming one could be using guilt. Uh, they could be using uh, punishment, reward. All of these things are, that's not playing fair, right? It's not being neutral. It's manipulating the audience to move in the direction you want them to go in. Mm -hmm. Now, one example of a nudge, because there's a whole set of nudges, is what they call defaulting. And whenever you have a default nudge, it's where you frame the conversation where the safest option is the one that you want them to pick. So you might create hideous, horrible possibilities in the way you frame this, and then you pick this one innocent-looking option, and the majority of people will pick the innocent option. Am I making sense? Mm -hmm. uh, now, the question is, is that even ethical to do it that way? Now, the, the nudge people or the uh, the people who promote nudging, they say, well, well, you know, that this can make, this can improve a country. You know, you can improve everyone's life if you just nudge them. But really, it's just psychological operations done on your people hmm. in the name of helping them out. So out of this, you'll occasionally see governments and, and NGOs that have what they call nudge units or behavioral psychology units, which you might remember I mentioned earlier that Sustine was the head of a behavioral psychology unit for a very large global organization. Uh, 
And uh, that kind of is another one of those red flags in my assessment. Yeah. If you see an organization deploying a nudge unit, it means they're not out. They're not looking out for your interests. They're playing mind games with you. Yeah. And he was part of the Obama administration. What part was he? Uh, let's see. That was the um, appointed by Obama. Let's see. Sounds like the Department of Disinformation. Maybe the it, equivalent. Of that it type. was something similar to that. So how do we overcome how, mainstream? The White, it was the uh, White House Office of Information and Regulatory Affairs. <laughs> okay. So you can propaganda see why. Department. Yeah. Yeah. Propaganda department. Uh, what, what, what were you going to ask me? How do we overcome so, uh, all this propaganda? I mean, we've got an onslaught of it. Every station we turn to on TV. I mean, it's just, it's just, an, an, they're, they're shaping the narrative everywhere. Right now we're being shaped to believe uh, that men can have babies, for instance, right. that um, lactating people. What lactating, lactating people? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, it, it's incredible. Uh, content aside, um, how do we how do we overcome? Uh, I turn my TV off first of all. I don't know what you do, uh, but I don't watch it anymore. Um, I stopped watching mainstream news in 2007 before I even <laughs> became, before I even made the, the jump over to a nine 11 truth. Uh, I was already stopping watching and it, I'll tell you, it was funny because it was a, it was because of a campaign slogan in 2007, Obama said that hope and change was his platform. Yeah. And the, I, I, I am not exaggerating. The minute I heard that, I said, that's bullshit. Every politician's for hope and change. What would make you any different? Uh -huh. Right? That I mean, they don't quite say it that way, but ultimately, that's what it all boiled down to. So I just was completely jaded at that point about the news, which I think is part of the answer. Part of the answer is to undermine mainstream media. I believe it's more important to under, undermine mainstream media than being involved in politics because mm -hmm. politics actually doesn't play as much an influence on people's thought process than mainstream media does. How do you under undermine mainstream media? You have to find other sources of information. Uh, them. You do. You have to replace them. Now on the ground, what, what I would say to my friends locally is use your eyes, right? If it's something that you can see, use your eyes. Uh, th there is a tendency for people to trust what they hear on the news more than their own eyes. So you have to reestablish a trust with your own senses, which means you have to decouple yourself from what they're trying, what the interpretation they're giving you. Mm. Now, Another thing is, I call it adopt a crazy idea. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Now, I'm just joking, 
But what I mean is going back to that, learn a continuum of viewpoints. If you see someone sending you a single viewpoint and saying that there aren't any other acceptable viewpoints, guess what? You know that they're shaping you. Oh. There's what, what else could they be doing? Protecting you? No, that doesn't work out over time. If you're paying attention, what you hear on the news often gets contradicted. I had another expatriate friend uh, that was in the restaurant industry. He'd been in it 30 years and he and I were having coffee one day and he was talking about them announcing that uh, the grease in the restaurants were carcinogens. And once they get exposed to the flame, he said, this is going to destroy the restaurant industry. Uh And what I said to him was not, well, six months after that, they'll say that they were wrong. (laughs) Propaganda. And remember earlier, a propagandist has to have the latitude to completely 180 what they said because it's not about finding out the truth it's about steering you right they tell us that masks are not necessary uh fauci Mm -hmm. and then uh all of a sudden masks are necessary not just one but two right and three yeah 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 and oh by the way that person is an expert in propaganda. He is not a medical expert. He is a medical propagandist. And that's what people get confused about whenever they talk about him as an expert. Yeah, he's an expert in propaganda. And a lot of this technocratic society that is being built around us is not about qualified professionals. It's about people who learn psychology and steering, and they don't really know the topics that they're talking about. Am I making sense? You're making sense, Matt. Okay. Uh, Okay. So adopt a crazy idea. We need to ridicule the ideas we hear on the news. They need to go out of their way to demonstrate to us why we shouldn't mock them until it becomes necessary for them to actually prove what they're saying, which they won't because that's too difficult. Yeah. Oh yeah. They won't. Do right. That. So until then we just mock them. And so guess who I, does that better than anyone else I've seen and consistently daily JP Sears. Oh my goodness! Yes, he does a great job. So beautiful at getting us to see the the clarity, the absurdity of what's being put upon us. Yes, and I love that. You know, complete just his method, his his style is just hilarious. Yeah. Uh, So yeah, um, we have so many alternatives, which is interesting because we keep talking about censorship, but there's lots of alternative uh, platforms to go to. Find one. Right? Bitchu, mm-hmm. Odyssey, Rockfin, Float, uh, NewTube, Brand NewTube, Rumble. We've got all these alternatives. We just have to go to them. Uh, I think a lot of this comes back down to the content creators themselves as well, though. Uh-huh. Content creators need to be pushing their material out to a variety of, of platforms. 
so that they their viewers have the option of going somewhere else. Right. Right. And and then they need to be promoting that. Uh, I think down here uh, in one of my other sections, I'm talking about, uh, oh, yeah, we're talking about shadow banning and all that. Uh, we need to actively encourage people to go to these alternative platforms. Uh. Right. So as a content creator, you need to say, hey, I'm over on here. I'm over here. And also make sure that you have your own website. And a lot, and I've seen a lot of content creators that are controversial that do this. Always enroll in my mailing list. Uh, go to my website. If you can't find me on YouTube, you're going to find me over here at this website. Uh-huh. We need to be reminding people of that all the time. And we need to provide them with incentives to do so. So for and instance, then on the website itself, we need to show all of the icons uh, for all of the platforms right. that where our content is, is placed on. So people can go there quite easily. Right. Exactly. And, you know, uh, I know uh, there's this one particular political analyst who's also an occultist. His name's Stix Hexenhammer. 666. <laughs> Have you heard of this guy? No. Oh, he's a blast. He's a hippie looking guy, wears a leather jacket, and then he talks about politics and the occult. Huh. Very popular. I think he's got like half a million subscribers on YouTube. He's got 150,000 on Bit, um, BitChute. He was an early adopter in BitChute. And what he does is he publishes some things on BitChute that he doesn't put on YouTube. Oh. And he says, if you want an alt media special, uh, you can go over to my BitChute or my Odyssey account. You can see my alt media specials. I like it. It's a good tactic. Starting to train people to think outside of YouTube. That was very difficult for me, particularly, Matt, because Mm -hmm. uh, I I had 60,000 people on my YouTube channel over the last 10 years. And, um, and, and when I became unleashed, I start over, uh, and you know, I got up to more than a thousand. Um, and it was hard. It's hard to let go of that. I want to, con- cause I want to reach the most people with the message that you're talking about right now. For right. Instance. We're streaming not only on YouTube, uh, well, two YouTube channels because I've got a backup YouTube because of strikes on the first one for Facebook um, pages and uh, Twitter. Uh, and so uh, we're trying to put it out, out there all together, but you know, am I going to, am I going to, I'm going to I'm going to, I should be taking a stand against YouTube for all the deplatforming they've done to all of our friends in the 9-11 truth movement and others, other movements and, and just go off of it, leave it. But I'm giving YouTube my business because I want to reach the people that are on YouTube that will have a more greater likelihood to see the content. And I would say we're, we're in a war. So tactics like this are completely acceptable. (laughs) <laughs> to, to go right it's completely acceptable to use youtube as a way to reach a new audience but don't forget that youtube is your enemy they're not your friend and this is where i disagree with people they're like 
oh, let's get Twitter back. Let's, you know, up until yesterday, it's like Elon Musk is one, one for freedom of speech. Okay, fine. You know what? If it becomes more, if it became more friendly for us to be on Twitter, great. But that's not, that should not be our goal. Our goal should be adopting ever increasingly difficult censorship resistant technologies. Hmm. That should be our goal. And diversity across multiple platforms. Right. And finding other venues like you're using Substack, which is a good idea. Uh, You should also be looking at places like locals. Are you familiar with locals? No. That's uh, uh, Dave Rubin, uh, the commentator. Uh, He's based, well, he's now out of Florida. He used to be in California. He uh, set up a platform and a lot of controversial people are over on locals and he's got his own payment systems and they're partnered with rumble. Oh, interesting platform. Another thing is places like telegram. A lot of alt creators have channels on telegram where they can post links to their material. And, and Ricky does this. He has one for posting material and he has another one for his people to talk with one another. So it's a chat. Okay. He facilitates a chat. Interesting. Right. Right. And you might get one of your, your fans to moderate the the chat so that you don't have to moderate it. I I know I have uh, some, I have some content creators that I'm encouraging them to go that direction. Because I have one content creator, which I'm actually, he's quite big. I think he's up to 150,000 subscribers. And we're, we're encouraging him to set up Telegram. Okay. Uh, the other thing is mailing lists on email. I mean, the one that really did this right was Alex Jones. He did uh-huh. it right. I mean, he's had a mailing list forever. So he's been preparing for a decade or more for being deplatformed. So having that mailing list is essential. Yeah, so he could reach reach them. How did he collect emails? Just, you know, tell them if you want to find out. If I ever get removed from the internet, you'll always be able to see me on my mailing list, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. And then I think another yeah. area that we need to be emphasizing is the viewers themselves have a role to play in this. Because, you know, the reason you would pick YouTube is because of the algorithmic exposure which you're not going to get anymore they're not going to show you on a random sidebar on youtube so you need to get viewers need to understand that if they value your content then they need a way to easily tell people about your content so i i'm thinking things like provide a little pdf file with a QR code in it and just a brief little, would you like to know the truth about building seven? And then they just scan it in on their phone and your, your viewers can go distribute these things. Have you ever heard of the white rose? No. The white rose is a group that came up during the lockdowns. Oh, and they made these stickers that you could go around and they were like little memes and QR codes and they would, people would go put them on trash cans at the back doors of buildings. And it was just these short little cute sayings about whatever was wrong with the system. And they had a thousand of these things. And I know guys on the West coast that man, they just would 
buy an old printer and print out a thousand of these things. And then just as they would go out and take a walk and put them up everywhere. Huh. Right. So this is marketing. that's right. It's guerrilla marketing, right? So we need to take our own responsibility. If we want this freedom to express ourselves and to, and to inform people about uh, things that they need to know about, we need to take it on our own responsibility and do it. Right on. Well, so YouTube has active censorship, deplatforming, and 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 how how does that really work behind the scenes? In what content are they are they actively censoring? Uh, I mean, right now, I have personal experience with knowing that they're <clears throat> and uh, they're they're censoring uh, COVID content. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I mean, you you can hardly mention the word without getting a well, strike. It's it, incredible. There's uh, so also that, that that FUD tactic of putting that little information box underneath uh-huh. your video. Context and, uh, for right Wikipedia, and that's a fud tactic. That's a fud tactic for yes, sure. Good. That they're trying to get you to not view it, so they're not, you know, they're not really censoring you, but they are using a tactic that would lead to self censorship, where you would not either you would not talk about the topic, or the viewer would look at skepticism about what you're saying because of that info box. Yeah, it's conspiracy theory territory. So for those that aren't familiar with it, aren't taken by surprise. For for me, when I see that, I go, "Oh, this must be good." Right, <laughs> I'm right. I'm the same, I'm the same way. I'm the same way. It's like, yeah, you go throw up all those information boxes you want. That's not going to discourage me from listening to the content and making a decision on my own about what I heard. Yeah, uh, they can also outright remove your content which happens uh they claim that 90 percent of the stuff that gets flagged either by the volunteers or by these ngos gets removed outright removed yeah i've had several videos removed right but you know it's not that uncommon to hear about things that are truly scandalous illegal activity that stay on youtube for years and and don't yeah. actually get removed, so yeah, it makes Antifa. you wonder. Uh-huh. Advocating violence, Antifa, is is like uh, they don't get taken down, but somebody trying to do a peaceful protest, a real peaceful protest somewhere, all of a sudden they're getting taken down, shadow banned, and so forth. That's right. That's now, how right. does shadow banning actually work? Okay, now shadow banning works in two venues. One, it works in the search. When they shadow ban a channel, they could remove you from the search results. So it used to be that there were like two levels or three levels of shadow banning. One is that you would never show up in the recommended videos. So if you're shadow banned, you're not going to be in recommended videos. The other is that if I searched for the name of your video, you would not show up because you've been shadow banned. Even if I type the exact name of the video, <laughs> yeah, it's not going to show up. But I've done that for my own videos, yeah. 
And if you have a direct link, though, someone could watch a direct link. So they're, they're, again, it's that corralling or, or cordoning of your content so that it's difficult to get to. And again, that's why I say, yeah, YouTube, but, you know, you really don't have the latitude that uh, you used to have. I would say that what we should be insisting on, and I was saying this before Elon Musk said this, but <laughs> I have to agree with Musk on this, that as a consumer, I should demand all platforms disclose their algorithms for showing the results, showing related videos, and I should be able to know how that was done. What were the criteria? The code should be open source. Yeah. He says he's going to do that on Twitter. He said, but you know, I, he also said he's not going to buy Twitter now because that they lied about bots. Meaning that he's not supposed to, they're not supposed to have more than 5% bots, but he seems to have proof that it's way more than that. Well, a lot of people, uh, no, I don't really know, but I, I do really know them. that in this world, the amount of bots that are out there is immense. And that it's practically impossible to stop a bot because they're just too good at looking like humans. Oh. Yeah, yeah, it's practically impossible. There are whole discussion groups online for how to fool bot detection. Um, so that's another way to sway public opinion. You say so you have 10% of, of the Twitter community all created by a computer right. and, and espousing a certain political viewpoint or social viewpoint or economic viewpoint and, and then dominating the conversation. Well, and also, oh, who's to say that there wasn't uh, an executive at Twitter who just accepted payments for creating fake accounts? Oh. I mean, I'm sure they have secret departments and back doors for everything. Yeah. So I'm not saying that that's the case. I'm just saying it's completely possible they could have done yeah. it. I mean, look at Richard Grove's uh, whistleblower thing about uh, Sarbanes-Oxley. Uh, and the State Department or the SEC knowing that the companies had backdoors. Mm. So why can't Twitter have a backdoor? Mm-hmm. Well, tell us about the copyright uh, concept because that that fits into this. Uh, we we think that copyright protection protects us as the creator. Uh, is that where it started? No, it didn't actually start there. Things like copyright and trademark began at the level of monarchs and royalty, where they would give certain parties the exclusive right to do something like mint currency or print work or publish things because they understood the uh, risks of allowing information to link out, leak out that was negative to them. So they could then under Royal decree say, okay, only this person has the right to print this. Well, that can also extend to works, specific works, like if you were endowed by the crown to write a, an economics work and you were being paid based on selling that, e that book, 
then the crown is protecting your exclusive rights to that. And who would the crown give that to except the person who says what they want them to say? <laughs> so another way to right? control the narrative. Right. So copyright has its origin in the establishment. It's not really something that was meant for the average person. Interesting. And if you look out into the copyright industry and the copyright enforcement industry, uh, it's clear that there are very shady things that go on in the copyright enforcement industry, uh, such as uh, publishing pirated works of a movie to get free advertising for the movie. Cool. This has been long something that we've suspected goes on, that a, a, a studio might actually, you know, they talk about leaked movies. Uh-huh. And what it seems that they're doing is they're leaking it to get buzz on the movie before it's actually in the theater. I got to remember that one. Mm-hmm. And the music okay. industry. The music industry has complained about piracy when in reality they've never had uh, every year they they grow but they haven't really suffered from music piracy. Uh-huh. That that's not really something that's been uh, a thing. Huh. Interesting. Well, let's jump over to the interplanetary file system. How does that uh, help us out as uh, content creators and and one trying to get the truth out well uh i uh, interplanetary file system or for short ipfs is a decentralized technology in other words there isn't a central point of failure in the system it's composed of many nodes it had its origin in BitTorrent. if people most people are familiar with BitTorrent because of uh its infamous nature in the pirate industry. But BitTorrent originated as a way of circumventing the throttling of bandwidth because ISPs will throttle the amount of bandwidth that you get so that you're not overwhelming their network. And also at the higher levels, they get charged uh, a certain amount for data flow. So they want to restrict how much data flows over their network. Uh, BitTorrent overcame this by slicing the files up into tiny pieces and then allowing a bunch of different people to share that each tiny piece with you. So the individual throttling was overcome. If one person was sending you a file at 50 kilobytes per second, you could have a thousand people sending you the same bits of that file. And in the aggregate, it would be uh, a megabyte per second. Okay, so that idea, oh, and also it had its own communication system called distributed hash tables. And what this was is essentially was a daisy chain of BitTorrent clients that they could pass availability of files and pieces of files across a huge swarm of BitTorrent clients. So what IPFS did was they took this concept of BitTorrent and they turned it into a file system with directories and files in it. And in this way, you can share a file like you were sharing a folder on your desktop. Well, 
this opens up a whole vista for getting around censorship because at least at the present time, this is both a blessing and a curse. Okay. If I put something in IPFS, it's not indexed. In other words, it's not searchable. Oh, now that's, it's a blessing in the sense that it's almost indistinguishable from anything else, unless you inspect the contents of it. So in that sense, you could make a link to a video share it in email and no one else would know about it except the person you shared it with. Oh, okay. So that's, that's the upside. The downside is if you wanted new people to see it, it's not going to be visible because of that uh, transparency or the opaqueness, the fuzziness of it. Now there are people and Ernest and I have talked about this, uh, Ernest Hancock, Uh uh, that, there are people talking about making systems to index IPFS files. Oh, uh, there's a guy at a company called Presearch that Ernest and he have talked about doing this. I have some ideas for indexing them as well, uh, which would then overcome the problem of finding your content. But you're, it's not just video files that you can put up on IPFS. You can put websites up on IPFS, so you could create a website that it's distributed across uh, hundreds or thousands of nodes. So it's virtually impossible to take it down. Oh, whereas right, right now they can take down my website. They could now generally that isn't happening a whole lot, except to like key people like say Alex Jones, they did it to him. Oh, is a DNS attack? Yeah, DDoS, uh, distributed yeah. denial of service attack. That's how what they did to Alex and his stuff. Oh. But for IPFS, there's really no hope of a DDoS attack. And whenever oh. people talk about, you know, like censorship of IPFS, I always like to point out that they've been trying to get rid of BitTorrent for 20 years. Oh, really? They haven't gotten rid of it. It's bigger than ever. It's just they don't talk about it in the news anymore. <laughs> They they kind of gave up. It's yeah. out of control, out of their control. Is right. that kind of like a cryptocurrency too? Is is that out of related. their control? You know, bit Bitcoin part of the Bitcoin protocol is related to uh, BitTorrent. <clears throat> it's really at the level where the nodes of Bitcoin talk to one another, not at the actual cryptographic currency side. Well, that's a different thing. But yes, they are related. And they have the same resilience. And thus the potential for greater freedom and overcoming uh, control, decentralized control. Right. And, you know, in Bitcoin, what you add is the idea of trustlessness. See, in the other things like BitTorrent, uh, IPFS, what you have is the distributed nature. But uh, But with Bitcoin, coin you have trustlessness so in other words whenever i make a transaction i don't have a human third party um moderating that transaction no central banks no no swift system it's all done through cryptographic signatures which are very resilient and hard to hack if not nearly impossible to hack 
and the way that whoever built Bitcoin, the way it's built, it's very, it, it's got interlocking mechanism within interlocking mechanism so that if you change one thing, it will invalidate it. Huh. That makes sense. Yeah. So, so how did this come up? Because, um, can, well, can it aid in, in, in our freedom of, of speech, uh, and, and how so yes. cryptocurrency? Yes. It, it, it does have the potential of helping us in freedom of speech because it can provide content creators with a means of support. And that's important because everybody needs, even if they're doing this as an idealistic crusade, uh, they need a means of continuing to support their ability to create content. So I see that as the key benefit of cryptocurrencies. And they can't shut down your Bitcoin wallet, but they can shut down your bank account. Mm-hmm. And so current, we, content we creators should, can can uh, support each other through an alternative currency. Then, right, right, the, and this allows distance. Right, if if you were just in a small community and your neighbors liked what you were talking about, they could give you groceries. They could give you, uh, uh whatever you know they help pay your electric bill whatever but if you want to reach across the whole globe cryptocurrencies are the way to do it because really you aren't going to be stopping bitcoin or one of the other old i would say in my opinion stay with things like bitcoin litecoin i'm not even much of a fan of ethereum uh ethereum has a lot of problems uh and some people might even be interested in the privacy coins because uh, Bitcoin is pseudo-anonymous. It's not really anonymous, but currencies like Monero and Zcash and some of a variety of others are, are quite resilient in keeping your anonymity. But we shouldn't neglect the fact that cryptocurrencies can also be combined with things like IPFS. Uh, oh. The guys who wrote IPFS have a cryptocurrency. It's called Filecoin. Oh. And it has not only the ability to exchange value, but it also has some added levels of privacy that IPFS by itself doesn't have. And then there are well, probably dozens, but I know of at least three other Similar technologies like storage and Psycoin and Arweave, these are all file sharing cryptocurrencies. And there's a great concern uh, uh, among some about the ability of the central bank to take over and or shut down cryptocurrency, which if you have a lot of wealth uh, by any measure, uh, you could lose it. Uh, Right. Uh, That's why. Uh, as far as secure currencies, I would stick with things like Bitcoin, Litecoin. Uh, I would steer away from Ethereum. I really don't trust Ethereum. Uh, the others that I think are good are Monero because Monero is quite mature uh, and it seems to have been resilient against attacks. And Bitcoin has actually been resilient against attacks. And I know that you'll find some skeptics out there about Bitcoin, but so far it seems to me to be distributed enough that you aren't going to get enough resources to take it over. 
And you definitely can't manipulate the the ledger or the record. That's just not possible. Okay. Well, um, so uh, back to the capability of us content creators to be distributing ourselves across multiple platforms. You have a solution uh, to... To this problem, can you tell us about that? Well, uh, just in brief, I've been an informational pack rat uh, for a long time, back to the beginning of my own awakening, like with 9-11. So I had begun collecting videos uh, that I thought could get censored. And over time, what developed out of that was a system for getting videos and then redistributing them. I started out originally by getting videos off of RSS feeds and then turning them into BitTorrent files and uploading them to torrent sites. So I had like Richard Grove stuff, your stuff, Corbett's stuff. I I was uploading it to to pirate sites and people could download the shows that way. Uh, But what I found now is because of these platforms proliferating, uh, like BitChute and others, that I can get things off of, for instance, YouTube, which uh, some things I do get off YouTube, but I also download off Odyssey and um, BitChute and Float. And then I can redistribute those to a variety of platforms. Huh. And it's not a trivial system. Uh, this is actually quite involved. And it, it is a... Uh, it, it, it is a regular day-to-day process of watching what changes on platforms because a lot of these platforms do not have programmatic interfaces. So you have to create tools to upload those things automatedly. To them. <laughs> wow. And so if something changes, are doing this. Well, you know, it's, it's fun. I enjoy it. Uh, it can be stressful at, at times because something might change on a platform and you have to reverse engineer it <laughs> and figure out oh what they God. changed. Um, but you have the capability to take my videos, and I know this because you're doing it right now, right. off of YouTube and put them on, say, a dozen other right. video platforms. Right. Like, and some of those are not even video platforms. Like we can take a video and put it on float, which is technically kind of like Facebook. Oh. And we can also upload to mines and we can upload to, uh, we've actually got a Substack uploader. It may not be deployed yet, but we've worked on a Substack uploader and we've done, uh, we can upload to Rockfin and, a new tube, brand new tube. Uh, again, you know, it, it's it's a complicated problem, but we have proven that we can do it. Wow. And we've got over 20 clients now. Now, this is called Content Safe. Right. You've got, you've got 20 clients and you've got programs and tools that, well, let's just see what it, what, what it can do. I'm going to play this, okay? Sure. And then you can talk about it. You're a successful YouTuber and podcaster, and big tech has been playing dirty with you and your friends for years. 
they've been getting nastier. Removing videos, fake community standards, shadow banning your videos from your subscribers, removing subscribers without them even knowing about it, and even taking down channels. Full-on censorship. Is your media team working to stop all of that nastiness? Are they distributing your content on alternative platforms that are censorship resistant? Are they monitoring all of your videos, channels, and subscribers to make sure your videos stay where you put them? Are they making sure your subscriber growth is consistent? Are people looking for you able to see your notifications and find you when they search for you? Does your media team have a plan to repopulate your videos on alternative channels if and when YouTube takes them down? Dude, do you even have a media team? Content Slave is your bodyguard that protects your work from the big tech giants who would rather see you silenced. Content Safe will distribute, monitor, and repopulate your content for you. Let your media team focus on helping you make killer videos and podcasts, best of clips, and eye-popping graphics. Let Content Safe handle the rest. Visit contentsafe.co to learn how you can become censorship resistant and get your message out to the world. <laughs> how about that? Um, that sounds too good to be true. How, how does it work, Matt? Well, we have a series of monitors and let's just take you, for example, we have a YouTube monitor and it sits looping continuously 24 seven through all of our YouTube subscribers that we monitor. And whenever it sees a new video, it downloads it, grabs the thumbnails, then it is distributed out to another series of uh, services, one for each platform. And each one in turn uploads to that platform. Wow. Simple, simple, at least from a high level, but in implementation, not simple. <laughs> <laughs> but um, Gail will come on here because I know people have a lot of questions for you. I can see them stacking up already. And so we want to, we want to get to those, but oh wow, yeah, yeah, and uh, so Gail, I'm going to add you in here, and tell everybody hi, <laughs> hi, <laughs> hello. Let's look you over here and tell everybody okay. what um, what uh, platforms uh, Matt has been able to get us on. Oh, I do not have my list handy. You caught me off guard, um, but uh, Matthew actually could probably tell us. We got you up on BitChute. We got you up on Odyssey. Mm -hmm. uh, we are getting you up on Float. Yes, we were got you up yes. on Float. Float. Rockfin. Gab TV. Uh, Mind. Rumble. Yeah, Rumble. Just, mm -hmm. Mines, brand, you said, Gail? Brand new tube. Yeah, you have us on Mines, right, Matthew? Yeah, we got you on yes. Mines. Yes. Um, new tube. New tube. Yeah, new tube. Mm -hmm. and, and we've got comments. We've got, we've got comments on all these. We can't even interactive because we're getting so much success by success in terms of getting seen uh, our videos on all these platforms before it was just YouTube as we started to get strikes against us for, um, and, and, and pretty soon we're going to be getting strikes just talking about nine 11, which is 95% mm. of what we do. Uh, we're going to lose our YouTube channel. This will be mm. gone. So yeah. Matthew has uh, given us uh uh, life extension, shall we call it? Thank you, Matt. It's awesome. Well, yeah, you know that's that's what our goal was. That's what we wanted to achieve. We wanted to protect our content creators, and we look at you all like family. I think I told you that whenever we first talked. 
the yeah, all our content on that way ever since. And it's a yes. delight to have you on. What's yes. the website where people can learn more about content safe? Uh, it's contentsafe.co. CO. And the CO stands for? Uh, it's a British abbreviation for .com. <laughs> okay. That's, yeah. that's British. Contentsafe.co. Gail, what have you got for us? I've got lots of great questions and comments. Um, the first one is, Mr. Raymer, what do you think about areas of research like World War II revisionism, which have some conclusions that are terrifying and unacceptable to most truthers? Well, I'm only familiar with a few areas of World War II revisionism. The one that uh, comes to mind is the whole motivation for Hitler going to war uh, with uh, the Soviets, which um, I'm not sure how that would you know, hit the truthers. Perhaps the other is um, the fact that Roosevelt knew about Pearl Harbor before it happened. And there's a lot of different ways you could spin that, but that's not new news. That's old news. People have known about that for decades. Um, I have a feeling this question is addressing addressing the the question of um, death camps. Oh, you mean like Eisenhower's stuff on uh, that that doesn't really get talked about all that much? Eisenhower. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Eisenhower was the leader of the, he was the head of the Defense Department, right? Uh, during yeah. World War II, he was the commander in chief for armed forces. Uh-huh. And after the conquest of Germany, there were these uh, concentration camps for German soldiers that the oh. conditions were as bad or worse than the ones that the Nazis had for the Jews. Hmm. So it's something that's not really talked about all that much. <laughs> Right. Uh, and I know sometimes Eisenhower is kind of held up as uh, someone who knew about the problems of a technocratic society, but it seems that he also had a bad administrative policy at the end of World War II. Okay. I think that we should be freely willing to admit these things because I honestly don't believe that these world wars were true and pristine, that there's a lot of mucky ickiness going on there that they don't mm. want us to know about. Yeah. Okay. I think it's something we should be talking about. Okay. What is a lager or is it a flagger? I'm not understanding. Someone would like to clarify. <laughs> yeah, that was just the trusted flaggers program that YouTube had, which was a voluntary or is still voluntary until the end of May. Uh, and that was just someone who would watch videos and say if it violated community standards or community so, guidelines. So we all have a little fl- uh, flag uh, when we watch a video and we can flag it as being inappropriate or, or whatever, is that what you're talking about? Yes. Yes, okay. that's correct. And then okay. they, you, they're going to get rid of that flag for us. Well, I, I guess they'll still have the flag, but I don't know if they're going to really be paying that much attention to it. Oh, interesting. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Oh. As they said that they have no more volunteers by on May 27th. Oh, wow. <laughs> okay. I think all major news stations should have a disclaimer if they only present one perspective. I think they should. Mm -hmm. But I think we should also assume that. Yeah. The disclaimer (laughs) should read something like this. This is an opinion. This is not news. Mm. (laughs) Let's put this on CNN. Yeah. 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 Legally, they can lie to us. That is actually legal. Can you explain that, Matt? Do you know that law? Well, is this the one talking about uh, propagandizing a, a, a 
Inside America, which yeah. was the, uh, you know, this went around back during Obama era that that happened. And it was pointed out to me way back then that actually it's always been the fact that the media could lie to us. <laughs> <laughs> and then wow. again, it goes back to our awareness of the lies. I do think that the internet has provided the possibility of recognizing things that are, we would not have recognized in the 1980s. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There yeah. we go. Okay. How about creating a narrative that is blockchained for factual integrity? Hmm. It's funny you talk about this because I have been involved in some discussions with people about this very idea. I uh, can't say anything about it right now, but it is something that some of us are talking about. Okay. Blockchain for factual integrity. Yeah, I don't know. I hope the the Biden administration's disinformation uh, department uh, doesn't get a hold of that. Mm, yeah. Well, I think that what's most important to me is something like Wayback Machine that's put on a blockchain so that it can't be disappeared after the fact. There we go. Hmm. Yeah. Yes. I think this is directed more towards you, Richard. Have How have they not blocked you from YouTube yet under the guise of misinformation? But they actually... Well, they that. did, uh, Matt, they did say that in, in, in 2019 that they're going to um, censor or not recommend conspiracy theories like 9-11. But after that point, I thought it was all over. I thought we were going to be deplatformed uh, altogether. But I didn't see a, a lot of difference. Maybe there's been a subtle boiling frogs set of activities and actions on their part. Um, but, you know, I, I can still go to any of my videos and, and, and see them. I sometimes I have to type in the exact title, and even sometimes I've seen that not work. So we're mm -hmm. being shadow banned. Mm -hmm. But I think um, it's mostly in those recommended videos section. You're mm -hmm. you're not you're definitely not going to be recommended. See, this is the subtlety of this. They know you're viewing history. If they know you're sympathetic to viewing videos like yours you might show up in a recommended video section in my videos because I have a history of watching your stuff. Mm -hmm. But if I'm new to you, if I'm, if I've never watched anything in your collection or related collections, it'll never show up in a recommended video. So that's, yeah. it, it's kind of like, I think a lot of this came down to, they say they're going to ban something. They did it in a very subtle way. Mm -hmm. And the benefit is that, Someone could say, well, I didn't see any effect. I haven't had any of my videos taken down. It kind of produces an uncertainty and doubt about the whole censorship program when, in fact, there is censorship going. Yeah. If that makes wanna, sense. Yeah. They don't want to be too obvious. Right. Right. And, but they are getting more and more obvious with those info uh, boxes. Yes, they are. All of my videos, when I go to watch them myself, I got a Wikipedia statement suggesting that 9-11 was an attack <laughs> by 19 fundamentalist hijackers and, 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 and nothing else. <laughs> right, right. Crazy. Okay. 
Wikipedia says Operation Mockingbird is an alleged CIA program to corrupt and control the news during the JFK White House period. Why don't we know for sure if this was a real operation or not? We do know it was a real operation, yeah. <laughs> but we do not trust what Wikipedia says because they use Wikipedia that adjective alleged. Alleged. Yeah. <laughs> Whenever it, it actually was in congressional hearings, right? So it's yeah. not alleged. Right. But, you know, that's why uh, uh, Wikipedia. <sighs> now, who's in yeah. charge of those guys? I mean, do we know it's the CIA? Oh, do you mean at Wikipedia? Yeah. Or do you, I think it's more subtle than that. I don't think it's CIA directly. I think that there are probably uh, NGOs that are getting involved in Wikipedia, and they may have CIA-trained people in them. <laughs> but okay. uh, I don't think everything happens because of the CIA either. They're just one agency. Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. People should know that Richard Gage 911 looks like it has a backup channel carrying this stream as well. People yeah. should like, share, and subscribe there as well. 99 subscribers there so far. Okay. So we have a YouTube channel called Richard Gage 911. We're all excited about it. We got our warning. You know, I, I was, all I was doing was telling the story about Spike Lee that I, 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 uh, mentioned, uh, earlier today on the Ernie Hancock show. And um, so they, we got our warning. Then we got our first strike. Then we got our second strike. One more strike and that is down. So mm. we just started to preempt the, 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 that problem by starting a new YouTube channel because we do mm. want to reach people on YouTube. It's called Richard Gage 9-11 again. So <laughs> Richard Gage 9-11 space. No, it's all one word. Richard Gage 9-11 again. So Matt is taking all of our videos from one and copying them over to the other. But now we're streaming on both. So now Matt is taking presumably the, them from one or the other, whichever has mm -hmm. the video and putting it to all the other platforms right. outside YouTube. How does that work? Yeah. It's well, complicated. Uh, yeah, but I, I just mark the original one as the primary source to go to the other platforms. And then I tell, the stuff that's put on the new channel, excuse me, on the old channel gets copied directly over to the new channel. So it's, it's not really a problem. Uh -huh. Awesome. So um, thank you for mentioning that though. Uh, uh, our questioner, because we don't push enough. Uh, we don't, we don't, we think from our side, producing content, uh, marketing content is, is, has not been, our specialty and Gail is getting up to speed and on, uh, on it as fast as she can. So these kinds of suggestions are extremely valuable for us. Mm -hmm. We, we have a thousand, uh, they're, they're, they're not likes followers, uh, on YouTube subscribers, subscribers. Yeah. Thanks. And we have only a hundred, uh, on, on the new one. So we want everybody on the old one to subscribe to the new one because the old one will be gone. And after a while, I'm sure the new one will be gone too. I don't know what we're going to do then. Yes. Yes. Will you have Richard Gage 911 a redo? Or again, again? Again, <laughs> again. Yeah. again. <laughs> okay. Right. Do you ever fantasize you could temporarily display a message on CNN or some other network with an unbiased factual message? <laughs> 
it's all of our <laughs> our fantasy, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I don't even know where to begin. Not don't that we want to <laughs> turn turn off the TV. Yeah. Yes. Uh, switch channels. Yes, exactly. Yeah, go to Richard Gage 911 again. <laughs> there you go. All right, Mr. Raymer, can you comment on Urbit? I had never heard of it, uh, but you it does. Are, well, let's spell it. U R B I T. Right. And I did a quick search and it looks very interesting. I mean, it's a very <laughs> interesting project. It, it's got some. It's basically an operating system that is meant to run peer-to-peer -peer or distributed applications. And oh. that sounds like a really cool idea. Huh. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Yes. All right. Do you know if NSA knows what we watch? <laughs> I suspect they do. Here's the thing about the NSA. Uh, from watching uh, people who follow the NSA... Uh, there's a guy, his name is Bruce Shiner. Uh, he does a blog called Shiner on Security. And he's been a big watcher of NSA uh, like releases uh, or div divulgences. And essentially, the NSA has too much information. The What they did with you know uh, PRISM, which was that program way, way back, where they copied all the data coming in and out of the United States. And, and I, I personally have some anecdotes from people I know that indicate that they collect data from everywhere. It's like you could, you could be, they could be collecting a database of, of SMS from Turkey uh, and they have all that. The problem is that's too much information. And even with artificial intelligence, I, I'll say it again. Artificial intelligence is not that accurate. It's not. I'm not saying it's unimportant or it's not something we shouldn't be aware of, but it's not that accurate. Ultimately, what the NSA has to do is flag things for humans to review. So if you are a person of interest, they, you can bet that they know what you've watched. <laughs> But if you're not a person of interest and you become a person of interest, they have a means of kind of going through your internet history and studying you. So it's not like they immediately know everything that everybody's doing and can react in a, you know, in a split second. No, they can't do that. And they probably won't be able to do that for a long time, especially with seven or eight billion people. Mm -hmm. Okay. Reality goes far beyond any conspiracy theory we could imagine. <laughs> That's the truth. <laughs> that is and such so the I'd truth. I'd like to hear an example of, of that. If, if, if anybody can think of one or imagine one or knows <laughs> of one. Uh, uh, I mean, I, I love getting my mind blown. Mm. Um, I was shocked in 2007 to learn that they're spraying in the sky geoengineering out of planes. Uh, and, and, and that's been proven six ways from Sunday. And we had Dane Wigington from geoengineeringwatch.org on our show. And I never would have, and I still have a problem believing how they can spray strontium, barium, and 
aluminum nanoparticles on us daily over the whole United States and I understand around the world. I mean, that's that's one that blew my mind. Hmm. Yeah. What's sure. one that blew yours, Matt? And then we'll go to Gail. I have to say in a similar vein, seeing that there are actual, uh, I guess, FOIA released documents indicating glass beads being seeded over Dallas. I think it was, wasn't that where they seeded the glass beads? Little tiny glass beads? Micro glass beads. This was back in like the 1960s that they spread that and they didn't tell anybody about it. Or... Or the uh, radiation experiments divulged under Clinton, where they had been experimenting on people with radiation. Or uh, the, um, the experimentation on the black population with syphilis. Yeah, Tuskegee. Yeah, Tuskegee, thank you, which they are now well, trying I to w- deny happened. They're denying what? I've heard that there's been some manipulation on Wikipedia uh, to say that that didn't happen. Or oh, that, uh, yeah. even though it's been what declassified, uh, well documented that it actually did yeah. happen. Yeah. Well, I was so going to bring gaslighting, that. by the way, which is uh, another psychological tactic. No, uh-huh. that didn't happen. The lights are not blinking. Yep. <laughs> yep. Yep. And I was going to bring that to uh, Tuskegee to uh, Spike Lee's attention to help him get past his. Um problem affinity uh to the vaccine right they're Hmm. doing experiments on all of us now and if you've seen some of this we're not going into that (laughs) (laughs) yeah let's not not go there just that's the one thing that'll self-censor for today yeah yeah see now that's what we're doing we're self-censoring right matt Mm -hmm. yeah i mean i want to tell what i've learned because I want to connect people to connect the dots between 9-11 and C-O-V-I-D. <laughs> mm-hmm. The, the, the yeah. spelling is going to be censored before you know it. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. We've got to know what we're doing. You know, it's interesting that I heard in the same vein that in China for a while, the name Shanghai was censored and you could not get search results on the word Shanghai. Oh, while they're having this lockdown? <laughs> that just shows you how far uh, 25 a government million people yeah how far what how far what how far a government will go mm-hmm. to, to try to suppress something which actually doesn't suppress it and in a sense actually draws attention more attention to the problem than it does get people distracted yeah yeah that's why I, you know that, that's why i'm not too convinced that that the powers that be actually control everything i'm not convinced about that some people want to say that you know as one of my friends put it he said the powers that be can turn us all to black goo in an instant but they just for some reason haven't and i'm like wow well, I, I just can't look at the world that way <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I can't look at the world that way well it, it might be true i mean uh, they've they have given uh, more than half of the world's population, the you know what, and talk about black goo. Um, we know what's in there. So, 
cross your fingers and hope that it's not as bad as it probably is going to be. Yeah, well, I, did you hear that Obama just said that we exper- we did a massive experiment on a billion people just a few weeks ago? <laughs> no, he said that. Really? That's what I that's what I read that he said it in an interview that we just oh, wow. experienced a massive experiment on a billion people. First oh time gosh. ever. Yeah. Okay. Back to you, Gail. Just admit. <laughs> Before we get deplatformed. <laughs> okay. Um Oh, one person suggesting we look into Odyssey in library. We are on Odyssey, but I've never heard of library. It's oh. the old version of Odyssey. Oh, okay. And library is a distributed application that runs on the desktop. Oh, okay. So you can view the videos without using a browser. Okay. Makes it's sense. a bit torrent. It's basically a bit torrent client with a nice fancy frame around it. Oh, <laughs> but we're doing Odyssey instead. Uh, yeah. Yeah, but okay. if you if it's published on Odyssey, you can see it on library. Okay, gotcha. All right. This is an example of reality going beyond conspiracy theory is the LSD experiments in Montreal. Yep, um, MKUltra. Yes, yes. I thought yeah. that was uh, France that they did the LSD experiment. Well, that was the, um, what was it? The uh, rye bread that they kept saying yeah. that, uh, right, right, right. But that was also Montreal. Okay. But not in bread there. These were hospitals and facilities in uh, Canada that uh, did those experiments on people. Uh, on patients that were? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Wow. There's a lot. In fact, I've only dipped my toe into that that whole subject. But there's a lot of interesting stuff that happened in uh, Montreal. Uh, and it does kind of give you a presage. Well, though, the same stuff was happening in the United States as well. So... I, I was about to justify the current actions in Canada being sort of this being a foretaste of what Canada is going through now, but maybe that's a little too far to go. Uh, Interesting uh, enough, um, you know, the uh, Unabomber, right? Uh, yeah. Ted, Ted Kaczynski. Ted, yeah, Ted Kaczynski, Kaczynski was a victim of MKUltra. He was a Harvard student. He was experimented on. Oh. And in his library, he had Jacques Elieu's Technological Society. Oh. Now, Elieu, I don't think Elieu ever made a comment about Kaczynski having a copy of his book, uh-huh. but Elieu would definitely not have approved of what Kaczynski did. And Kaczynski was out of his mind. Well, okay, but Kaczynski was... a. According to the official narrative, against uh, soci- control of society, right? right? And he was also a primitivist. He felt that we should get rid of all technology. Yeah. Well, he had a and, point. There. And what the, the problem is, there's a flaw with that. Not not to go on, but uh, in fact, I'd love to have a, an entire. I'd love to talk to you someday about Elu and his thinking because I think it's so relevant to what we're challenged with, not only in the propaganda area but also in technology. Elihu's contention was there was no way that primitivism was impossible. So the idea that you could somehow just get rid of technology is not going to fly. You have to deal with technology. You can't get rid of it. Right. Even the Amish are having to deal with it. Right. Even the Amish have to deal with it. They're utilizing technology. What they've decided to do is freeze a certain amount of the technology that they use, which may not be a bad idea 
like totally getting rid of technology is probably impossible. Right. Uh, and you might remember in our private conversation, I talked about the analogy of the Bronze Age warrior and the yep. Iron Age warrior. Yep. That, and, and this is relevant to what we had to say today. A lot of us are going to be tempted to use modern propagandistic and psychological operations tools. We, we should try to not do that. But at some point, we may have to use their tools because just as the Bronze Age soldier is going to lose in a battle with people carrying iron weapons, we may lose if we don't at least understand the psychological tools that are being used against us. Right. And, and there are certain applications where we probably do it unconsciously, such as logical fallacies and so forth and so forth. I mean, appeals to emotion. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes I get angry and, and call debunkers names. <laughs> it's easy. And shills, shills make me really angry. Anyway, yeah. it's Gail has a couple of final comments and then we're going to call it a day. Okay. Why won't NASA ever turn on the camera around to show us the rest of the space while doing a spacewalk? And there are never stars in the NASA videos like we've seen a sea of stars on movies like Aliens. You know, that's a good question. And just like we should be insisting on YouTube to publish its algorithms for how they select videos, how they do search results. We should insist that NASA have full transparency in everything. Yeah, I agree. Show us the photos of, of all the satellites out there. Right. We just, there's no reason. Or some it's of not, them or any you of You don't them. have to believe. Cass Sunstein was wrong, is wrong. I think he doesn't even believe what he says. He's just manipulating us. Cass believes that the reaction to a quote unquote conspiracy theory is to ignore it. That's not the answer to a conspiracy theory. The answer <laughs> is complete, utter discussion. Talk about every aspect of it. If you're really concerned about the truth and you don't have something to hide, talk about it all. Yeah. Like you said, you need a spectrum of information with which, against which to create a, a, an informed opinion. Otherwise, you're just a, a puppet of the propaganda that's been programming you all your life. Or on exactly. this particular issue. Exactly. Final one, Gail? Yes. Great closing comment. Great show, Richard, Gail, and Matthew. Well, thank you. <laughs> thank you. And thank you, Matthew. I enjoyed it. Yeah. It was fun. It was a blast. I, I, have, I, have, I just love listening to you because my mind is going boom, bigger, bigger, bigger. <laughs> I, I appreciate it so much. Where can people get a hold of you once again? Well... Uh, you could either go to my content safe or my company's name is Anomalist Design. And that is a little cute history. Uh, I did not come up with that name. It was one of my graphic designers. He's been working with me for 20 years. And I asked him, hey, we're going to make a, a pool of names for the company. Uh, what would you call me? What would you call the company? And he comes back an hour later and he says, I went through the dictionary and I found the word that I think describes you to a T. Oh. Anomalist. Anomalist. Yes. What does Anomalist. that mean and how do you spell it? It's spelled, uh, here, let me put it in private chat so I can make sure I spell it right. A-N-O-M. 
M A L I S T. Okay, not anomalous, anomalist. <laughs> okay, and it means interested in exceptional cases. Interesting in interested, cases. interested, a person who is oh, interested in, in exceptional, exceptional cases, yes. not the ordinary, so, the out of the ordinary. Right. Oh. And my, my business for since 2007, which it was registered as anomalous design. Uh, my business has been focused on exceptional, hard to solve cases, difficult cases, things that oh. the normal software development company does not want to handle. Oh, yeah. Well, you've done that for us. That's for sure. And uh, that's at contentsafe.co. So thank you again, Matt. What, a, what an incredible service you have for everybody. And I hope people take advantage of it before yeah. they get uh, deplatformed. <laughs> well, I'm, I shouldn't be laughing, but we're about to get deplatformed. Part of me, I have to, I have to have, I have to have lightheartedness somewhere. Sure. Uh, thanks again, and uh, well, thank Gail, you. What, what do you, what, you, you want to say goodbye to Matt? Because yes, thank you. Oh, it's hey, been Gail. great. It's been great, Matthew. Thank you so much. And it's, it is awesome for us because you do so much to help us. And we've had a little bit of contact with you interacting with what you do for our platforms, but it's really an honor and awesome to have you on our show. Yeah, well, really. thank you for Very. facilitating us today. Oh, yeah, you're so you welcome. Bet. You My take care of yourself. Yeah. Thank you. And there he goes, yeah. Matt Raymer, contentsafe.co. And uh, Gail, let's, Let's let him out with uh, with this. What do you say? <laughs> okay. Thank you for joining us on yet another informative and soul-stirring episode of Richard Gage 9-11 Unleashed. We'll be on the air again next week with another very special guest in the 9-11 Truth Movement and beyond. Visit us at richardgage911.org where you can find our schedule, learn about the WTC evidence, and of course, sign up for our emails and support us. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. Thank you.